ideology and the policies of the GOP, and it shows you what's coming. And we've seen since April 28th, we've seen the number of states pass laws banning the teaching of critical race theory, attacking the 1619 Project as well, okay? Uh, we see different variations of this. Now it's about 20 states. So if you look at this article here from uh, NBC News, uh, UNC withholds tenure for 1619 Project journalists after conservative backlash. Uh, the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill's journalism school is not offering Nicole Hannah-Jones, the Pulitzer Prize winning creator of the New York Times 1619 Project, a tenured professorship after facing pressure from conservatives. After facing pressure from conservatives. So this is, even though they said that she did not have enough classroom time, she had enough time in the classroom, when you research this, Experts are saying, well, wait a second, there have been other people that have received tenureship and didn't have as much uh, 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 classroom time as is usually required or something like this. But she is an award-winning journalist. Now, NC Policy Watch first reported that the uh, UNC Chapel Hill's Board of Trustees had decided not to uh, approve tenure for Nicole Hannah-Jones at the Hussman School of Journalism and Media. According to the 19th, okay, uh, according to the publication the 19th, she is the first person in this role at UNC Chapel Hill to be denied tenure by the board. According to the 19th, she is the first person in this role at UNC Chapel Hill to be denied tenure to be denied tenure by the board. Now, the university announced last month in uh, April, uh, they announced in April 2021 that Nicole Hannah-Jones would join the school as the night chair in race and investigative journalism in July. Now, conservatives quickly condemned the university's decision to offer Nicole Hannah-Jones the tenure track position. Um, one trustee re reportedly told uh, NC Policy Watch, quote, this is a very political thing. This is a very political thing. The university, quote, the university and the board of trustees and the board of governors and the legislature have all been getting pressure since this thing was first announced last month. There have been people writing letters and making calls for and against. But I will leave it to you, which is carrying more weight, end quote. I will leave it to you, which is carrying more weight. Now, a spokesperson for the journalism school, uh, whose name is Kyle York, confirmed to NBC News that the board did not act on Nicole Hannah-Jones tenure package. The board met on Wednesday back in late May, and was expected to meet again on Thursdays. Nicole Hannah-Jones, at the time of this writing, had not immediately, uh, uh, had not immediately uh, responded to a request for comment, okay? Uh, 
Now, Nicole Hannah-Jones is a renowned award, renowned award-winning journalist and winner of a MacArthur Fellowship known as a Genius Grant in 2017. She led the 2019 New York Times 1619 Project. We'll continue this on the other side of the break, and we'll talk about a new development here because UNC has lost out on a very brilliant African-American uh, chemist uh, behind this as well. You listen to the African History Network show right here on 10 a.m. the Superstation Future Radio. I'm Michael M. Hotel. We'll be back in a few minutes. Stand by. Stand by. Everybody share this broadcasting on social media platforms. Invite your friends to tune in also. How's everybody doing? Stand by, everybody. All right, how's everybody doing? We're back from break in uh, four minutes. Stand by. Okay, back from breaking two minutes. Station. Nine ten, the Superstation, Detroit's only African American talk radio. Welcome back to the African History Network show right here on nine ten AM Superstation of Future Radio. I'm your host, Brother Michael M. Hotep. It is Wednesday, June 9th, twenty twenty one, and we are live. All right, everybody, share this broadcast on social media platforms. Invite your friends to tune in also. Um, I want to remind you, I will be in Atlanta uh, Friday, June 18th through Sunday, June 20th for the 9th Annual Juneteenth uh, uh, Parade and Music Festival. 9th Annual Juneteenth Parade and Music Festival. Uh, Rest of Development will be performing this year, the one, one of the headliners. Uh, I'll be speaking there uh, Saturday, 
June 19th and Sunday, June 20th, 3 p.m. to 4 p.m. Eastern Standard Time in the amphitheater. I'll also have a vendor booth there all three days. So visit JuneteenthATL.com, JuneteenthATL.com for more information. Uh, this is uh, will be held at Centennial Olympic Park. Centennial Olympic Park. It's a free event. It's a, it's a good family-oriented environment. Uh, they usually have about 100 to 130 vendors there as well, African-American vendors, Caribbean vendors, African vendors. Uh, so visit the website JuneteenthATL.com for more information and information about the parade. The parade is uh, on Saturday, usually on Saturday. The parade. parade starts at 12 noon on Auburn Avenue. So it's going to be a fantastic uh, time. All right. So I want to uh, go back to this topic we were dealing with, dealing with Nicole Hannah-Jones and then also Dr. Lisa Jones, no relation. Dr. Lisa Jones, who has turned down a uh, professorship at UNC behind the mistreatment of uh, Nicole Hannah-Jones. So there was a, uh, let's do this, do with some background information. Uh, I want to go to clip one, uh, Shakita from uh, Black News Channel. I'm going to go to that in just a second. Uh, well, actually, I'm sorry, clip two. We'll go to clip two, uh, Dr. Mark Lamontiel. Here's some more background information here. Uh, Dr. Mark Lamontiel um, interviewed uh, Dr. Jelani Cobb, who's a staff writer for The New Yorker and a professor at Columbia, uh, Columbia's Journalism School, about uh, Nicole Hannah-Jones being denied tenureship. Okay, now she's a Pulitzer Prize winner. She's more than qualified to uh, be a tenured professor at this school or any other school, basically in the journalism school, not, not the history department, because are some problems with the 1619 project. We talked about that before. Doesn't mean you can't use parts of it, you know, to teach history. But she she's not a professor in the history department. She's in the journalism department. So she's more than qualified. And UNC is also her alma mater as well. Um, conservatives expressed outrage after the school announced that they were bringing Nicole Hannah-Jones on. Uh, quote, this is a political reaction that she created, uh, this is a political reaction that she created the 1619 Project. Dr. Jelani Cobb said, the idea that racism is not central to the American society, the American establishment is absurd, end quote. Let's go to this picture. Clip number two, take it off mute. Cancel culture. 
just cancel people because of their beliefs that whenever people say things that are wrong or that are not politically correct or that make people uneasy that the left just canceled them. And on the left at the time was that that's completely true. That first of all, the issue here isn't canceling people, it's holding them accountable. And every time someone is held accountable, it doesn't mean that we're canceling them. But the other side of the equation was that many people on the right, the very people who are decrying cancel culture, are quick to shut something down when it doesn't cohere with their ideological positions. Whether it was in the 80s with the moral majority, whether it's people trying to stop rap music, whether it's people trying to cancel the Teletubbies, literally, whether it's people writing letters, whether it's people trying to get people fired from cable news networks and universities for their positions on the Middle East, whether it's talking about trying to get teachers fired or whether it's talking about what we see here with Nicole Hannah-Jones. This is a sudden development, and many people were up in arms about it. And one of those people was my next guest. His name is William Jelani Coffey. He's a professor at Columbia Journalism School. He's also a staff writer at The New Yorker. And he was one of the first people to tweet and respond to what happened to Nicole Hannah-Jones. Uh, Jelani, good to see you, man. Good to see you. Help me understand this. Nicole Hannah-Jones is a Pulitzer Prize-winning journalist, and the Carson Genius Award winner, one of the most celebrated writers, certainly the last couple of years, so as a journalist, how, she, let me say one more thing, she was recruited for a job, hired for a job, approved by the faculty, approved by the team, how unusual is it that something like this would happen? Thank <laughs> you. 
denied to the 1619 Project founder. Uh, and so this is a political uh, reaction uh, to the fact that she created the 1619 Project and more fundamentally an attack upon her for arguing, as the 1619 Project does, uh, persuasively, about the centrality of race and racism in the development and establishment of the United States. Uh, that's not really a controversial position, except we're talking about uh, right-wing reactionaries who are often that they're not uh, attacking the 1619 Project, uh, uh, minimizing and defending the people uh, who were attempting to lynch the vice president on January 6th. Uh, and so uh, it, it doesn't hold up to any sort of professional or, or scholarly or academic uh, standards. What we're left with is simple base politics. You talked about how the 1619 Project points to the kind of centrality. Wait, we're generation. Slaves collectively in uh, 
female. I'm not going to beat up on her because of that. Um, but you saw that it was a letter that six, that um, three dozen um, they, they, that uh, uh, get about 36 Republicans who sent to uh, the new Secretary of Education, Miguel Cardona, they sent a letter demanding that schools that teach the 1619 Project not be eligible for grant programs, okay? Uh, this is an article here from uh, uh, CNN. We talked about this before on the show. Uh, McConnell sends letter to Education Secretary demanding removal of the 1619 Project from federal grant programs, okay? Uh, and let me pull this article back up here. So we see this whole attack. Now, what Dr. Jelani Cobb is talking about is dealing with revisionist history. This ties into the whole lost cause, uh, uh, the whole lost cause revisionist history of the Civil War and of the Confederacy and rewriting history saying that the Confederacy, uh, they separate uh, from the Union because of states' rights? No, it's because of slavery. They wanted to maintain slavery, and when you read their statements of secession, they make it clear. They talk about how slavery was central to their way of life. So you had conservatives on UNC's board who are blocking the tenureship of Nicole Hannah-Jones. But this is much bigger than an African-American woman uh, having a job at a white institution. This deals with this whole culture war that's taking place and shutting down of uh, history that contradicts what a lot of white people want to hear. Okay? Th that's what this ties into. So if we look at this article here from CNN.com, McConnell sends letter to Education Secretary demanding removal of the 1619 Project from federal grant programs. Uh, uh, Senate uh, Minority Leader... Uh, Mitch McConnell is wading into the culture wars Friday morning. Now, this article is from uh, Friday, April 30th, 2021. In a letter obtained by CNN, the Republican leader asked Education Secretary Miguel Cardona to abandon curriculum in American schools that McConnell argues tells a revisionist history of America's founding. McConnell claims these programs, such as the 1619 Project, who Donald Trump waged a war against, the traitor-in-chief, Benedict Donald, he waged, waged a war against the 1619 Project when he was in office. McConnell claims these programs, such as the New York Times 1619 Project, reorient the view of American history, quote, away from their intended purposes, Toward a politicized and divisive agenda. End quote. What's the what's the divisive agenda? They don't want to deal with the history of slavery. That's the problem. They don't want to deal with white supremacy and racism, systemic racism. Because you have many Republicans like uh, uh, Lindsey Graham of, of South Carolina, who is saying systemic racism don't exist. And then when you put policies in place to address to address decades of systemic racism, like the $4 billion 
of loan forgiveness for African-American farmers and Latino farmers and Asian-American farmers that's in the $1.9 trillion American Rescue Plan that no Republican in the House or the Senate voted for. When you do things like that because African-American farmers have faced decades of discrimination from the federal government and the U.S. Department of Agriculture and have lost 92% of their land over the past 100 years, about 12 million acres of land, when you put policies in place to deal with a history of racism, then you have many Republicans that call the policies racist. Not the past 100 years of racism and discrimination. They don't focus on that. They call they they they, they call the policies that you put in place racist. The 1619 project has become a hot button issue for conservatives across America, and politicians have fought efforts by school districts to make it part of history, to make it a part of history curriculum in public school districts. The project launched by the New York Times in 2019, 400th year anniversary of August 20, 1619, reframes American history around the date of August 1619 when the first slave ship arrived on America's shores. Now, that's the, that's the first slave ship coming into the British colonies because the Spanish had already were already bringing Africans into the territory we call South Carolina in 1526. That's 93 years before 1619. The Spanish were already doing that because the Spanish were in this land before uh, the, the British get here. And you know, the Spanish were the second ones involved in the transatlantic slave trade right, back, right behind the uh, Portuguese. The Portuguese are the first ones involved in 1441 going into Mauritania. The Spanish were right behind them. The English get involved in the transatlantic slave trade later. And then we know the Spanish are here, the Dutch are here. This is how you get the, um, the colony of New Amsterdam. And the, and the colony of New Amsterdam becomes the British colony of New York. So we know that they're all here in this land. But of course, since we were familiar with Dr. David M. Hotel's book, The First American Draft Documented Evidence, we know African people were here in this land 51,700 years ago, even before Native Americans came here. These were the Khoisan, who have the oldest DNA on the planet, come from southern Africa. They're the ancestors to the Ainu and the Twa, and they go all around the world, and we know they were, they were here as well. So, so we, we know this. So they can't run this game on us, because you all listen to this show, and, and I put you up on game. So when they come at us with this nonsense, we know how to dissect their argument. But August 2016, 1919, happened when those 20-and-odd um, African were on the uh, White Lion pirate ship white lion pirate ship and uh, they are exchanged for food and water and supplies in uh, Virginia. It's actually Hampton, Virginia. It wasn't Jamestown. It's actually Hampton, Virginia. So the project, 1619 project that launched by the New York Times in 2019 reframes American history around the date of August 20th, 1619. first slave ship arrives in the British colonies, and it has launched a fierce debate over the legacy that slavery has played in shaping America, particularly as it relates to its treatment of African Americans. Republicans have misleadingly suggested that a widespread effort, Republicans have misleadingly suggested there are widespread efforts to install the program Schools across the country, former President Trader in Chief 
uh, Benedict Donald made it a rallying cry during the 2020 election, while some states like California have used the 1619 Project as part of their learning plan, the federal government has not directly instructed or promoted schools to use it as it does not play a role. The federal government does not play a role in specific curriculum planning in local schools. Those decisions are largely made at the state level. Okay? So a lot of this, a lot of this whining and crying that Republicans are doing at the GOP is over critical race theory, over the 1619 Project. A lot of this is much to do about nothing. This is designed to galvanize support from their dying base, from their shrinking, from their shrinking base. Okay, this is designed to uh, galvanize support. So they don't have any policies to really help their own people. Okay, then when you look at it, they were against the $1.9 trillion American Rescue Plan. They, uh, they, they were against cutting childhood poverty by uh, 50%. That's in the $1.9 trillion American Rescue Plan. The, the, the uh, $2 trillion infrastructure bill, they're against that. They want a, a lot less in the infrastructure bill. They don't want to close the, uh, the $1.4 trillion uh, 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 Trump tax cuts. Okay, they gave mo most of the benefits to the top 1%. They don't want to close that. Okay, when it comes to, when it comes to police reform, all right, uh, they, they don't go as far as... Uh, Democrats want with the George Floyd Justice and Policing Act. Okay, they don't go as far as they are. Now, there may be, uh, I'm hearing reports that they're close to a deal between Democrats and Tim Scott in the Senate on the George Floyd Justice and Policing Act. We'll see what they actually come up with. Okay, but the other thing is, and, and some people have talked about this, but even if they come to a, an agreement, Tim Scott representing the Republicans and Karen Bass and uh, Senator Cory Booker uh, represent Democrats. Even if they come to an agreement, you still need 10 Republicans in the Senate to vote for the George Floyd Justice and Policing Act. I don't know a five who are going to vote for it. You need 60 votes. Who, who are the 10 Republicans that are going to vote for the bill? Besides Tim Scott, you need nine Republicans. Where are they? This is the whole thing with Joe Manchin. This is why, you know, uh, on Roland, uh, Roland Martin show today, he said, Joe Manchin's full of sugar, honey, iced tea. Jo Joe Manchin is talking about for the, uh, he's against the For the People Act, but he can't tell you why. He said it's not, he said it's, uh, it's, non it, it, it's not bipartisan. No Republicans support it. Well, no Republicans supported the American Rescue Plan, but you voted for that. So when you go through and look at Joe Manchin's argument, he's lying. Joe, Joe Manchin is lying. And when you look at the, um, you look at the report that uh, Rachel Maddow did a couple of nights ago on the Rachel Maddow show. She goes through and shows a poll out of West Virginia. And, and the poll shows how West Virginians, regardless of, um, regardless of race or regardless of whether they are Republican or Democrat, they overwhelmingly support uh, Joe Biden's policy. Because they know it's going to be beneficial for them. Okay, if you if you look at this one right here quickly, we'll go back to this clip here uh, from uh, Black News Channel. But see, this is an example of how elections have consequences. Now, Joe Joe Manson is not the only Democrat that's against the For the People Act. There's a few others, but overwhelmingly, Democrats in the Senate support the For the People Act. Okay, now Joe Manson said 
there are he said there's several Republicans that oftentimes vote with Democrats, right? But you need, but you, but you're gonna need ten Republicans. Seven is not ten. So even if you got seven Republicans, even if you got Mitt Romney and Lisa Murkowski, you got Susan Collins. Even if you got seven, you're at fifty-seven. You need sixty. You still lose. He's lying. So if we look at this one right quick, and we'll go back to the clip. Don't worry. For the People Act, West Virginia likely voters. 81% of West Virginia Democrats support the For the People Act. 79% of independents uh, support the For the People Act uh, of those polled. Okay, this is from, this poll comes from End Citizens United and Global Strategy Group. Okay, and ALG Research, all right? This poll was done between April 14th and April 18th, 2021 has a margin of error of 4%. 76% of, Repu- of Republicans polled in West Virginia support the For the People Act. So when Joe Manchin says something like, uh, you know, people in uh, West Virginia, people he represents don't support this, you're lying. 76% of Republicans in West Virginia polled support the For the People Act. Then when you look at this right here, because I went through and pulled up these graphics. You look at how West Virginia, now West Virginia, keep, keep in mind, see, West Virginia, uh, African Americans only make up about 3 or 4% of West Virginia. So I don't think Joe, uh, Joe Manchin talked to any African American in West Virginia. Okay? Not any with any sense. When, 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 when he says he's not for the For the People Act, then he says he'll support the, the, um, the uh, um, HR 4, which is, uh, John Lewis bill. Okay, the John Lewis voting rights act. But you still need 10 Republicans for that. He can't name 10 Republicans that support the bill either. The, the, the John Lewis bill. If we look at this, if we look at this graphic here. West Virginia opinion on Biden's proposals. They know Biden's proposals will help a whole lot of poor white people in West Virginia. They know this. Joe Manchin, Joe Manchin, this is full of sugar, honey, iced tea. He's lying. When we look at the American Rescue Plan, the $1.9 trillion American Rescue Plan, that, and because of the uh, because of the child tax credits, it's cutting childhood poverty, it's cutting child poverty in half. It's going to benefit a whole lot of poor white people in West Virginia that voted for Joe Manchin. 64% of, of Voters in West, in West Virginia poll support the American Rescue Plan. No Republicans voted for the bill. Okay, Joe Manchin voted for the bill. When we look at the American Jobs Plan, and Moody's Investments has said that the American Jobs Plan is the infrastructure bill. They said that that, that bill is going to create 2.7 million jobs. 68% of West Virginians support Joe Biden's American Jobs Plan, the infrastructure bill. For the People Act, seventy-nine percent of West Virginians poll support the For the People Act. Donald Trump won West Virginia in twenty sixteen and twenty twenty by about forty points. But they said, "Look, we know this bill is going to help us." Okay, West, regardless of race or what have you, regardless of whether they're Republican or Democrat or whatever, they say, "Look, we know this is going to help us. We're poor. We need help," and they know that bias plans don't help them. So you have to ask Joe Manchin, your, your, own, your own people in West Virginia want, this, want these bills. So what are you talking about? 
All right. Let's go back to. Um, I want to go back to this article here from NBC News. Uh, let's go back to the clip from uh, the Black News Channel, uh, Dr. Mark Lamont here. constitutional abstraction called states' rights. Uh, and in order to absolve the United States of racial sin, you didn't have to create this ultimate fantasy uh, version of the past, uh, what W.E.B. Du Bois referred to as the propaganda of history. Uh, and so it has no bearing on what actually happened in the past. It's just a version of history that is politically useful for maintenance of white supremacy. And that's what we're seeing here. Somebody's going to say, why are y'all making a big deal about this? They still made her an offer as a practice professor. They gave her a five-year contract. You know, I don't have uh, a guaranteed job in my career. Why is this tenure thing a big deal? What do you say to those people? Yeah, I understand that. I understand why people would think that um, and why people would raise that question. So here's why it's important. Uh, there are uh, professors who are willing to work. And we say that we want the real history and we want the truth, that requires scholarship, and that requires people going out and digging up things that people don't want to know, or things that people want to be buried. And tenure is meant to protect the scholars who are doing this work. If you want your children to learn the accurate story of the past, uh, people are always asking me, do you teach the real black history? Well, the people who produce the real black history need the protections of tenure. And the effect of this may not be on Nicole Hedda Jones. It may be on dozens or hundreds of younger scholars who don't have tenure, who will be going up to tenure, and who now are afraid that by doing their very important, diligent work, they will be liable to have their careers damaged in ways that may take years to recover. Before you go, let me ask you one more question. I was talking about this right before you came on. This is the way that the right has been so outraged about cancel culture. There's some irony here. I mean, it seems to me that this is evidence that perhaps they're the ones doing the canceling. It's always been the case, though. That has always been the case. You know, when we have seen the attempt to shout down people in public uh, for pointing out the inconvenient truths of American history, uh, that wasn't us. Uh, and what they are reacting to when they're talking about cancel culture uh, is the mere emergence of people who can now, through social media, have a counter uh, voice now uh, argue back. Uh, but they've been doing this since uh, time immemorial. Remember SpongeBob SquarePants when they went after him? Uh, they're all sorts of inanimate <laughs> objects, ideas, uh, fictional characters that the, the right has a list of that they've gone after themselves. Uh, and so the idea of cancel culture, which is a term that I never use, but the idea of it existing uh, and being uh, solely in the province of people on the left is. Thank you for joining me and thank you for lending your insights on this. Okay. All right. Pause it there. Okay. That's from May 20th, uh, 2021, Black News Channel, Dr. Mark Lamont Hill. Okay. So uh, those watching on our Facebook fan page, The African History Network, The African History Network, and my YouTube channel, Michael M. Hotel, I-M-H-O-T-E-P, keep watching. We're going to keep broadcasting for a few more minutes. We'll talk about an update here. We'll talk about Dr. Lisa Jones, a chemist at University of Maryland who's turned down a, a professorship at UNC Chapel Hill because of the mistreatment of uh, Nicole Hannah-Jones. 
Uh, if you like this type of information, also you can support the African History Network dollar sign the AHN Show uh, through Cash App dollar sign the AHN Show through Cash App, also through PayPal PayPal.me forward slash the AHN Show PayPal.me forward slash the AHN Show. Uh, when you do the Cash App, be sure to type in dollar sign the AHN Show S H O W. You have the graphic up here. These other ones are the fake uh, Cash App, uh, the fake African History Network Cash App accounts. I've already reported them to uh, uh, Cash App. Um, remember, right now, it's correct wrong behavior. It's not over till we win. We're kind of forever. And we'll talk to you tomorrow. Peace. All right, stand by. Stand by. Okay. Stand by, everybody. All right. Um, So uh, you can support us through Cash App or through PayPal, paypal.me forward slash the AHN show, paypal.me forward slash the AHN show. Uh, this also will help me get back to and from uh, Atlanta for because uh, I'll be in Atlanta three days for the um, Juneteenth Festival. I'll be speaking there. The uh, ninth annual Juneteenth Festival at uh, Centennial Olympic Park, June 18th through the 19th, June 18th through the 20th. Be sure to register for the uh, my Saturday online course, um, ten week uh, online course, ancient Kemet, the Moors, and the Mahapa, understanding the transatlantic slave trade, where they didn't teach you in school. Ancient Kemet, the Moors, and the Mahapa, understanding the transatlantic slave trade, where they didn't teach you in school. So we deal with. Uh, thousands of years of history, and we deal with what led up to the transatlantic slave trade taking place. So our guest speaker, uh, Saturday, June 12th, is going to be none other than Dr. David M. Hotep, author of the book, The First Americans Were Africans, Documented Evidence. You know, I've interviewed him a number of times, but this will be, he'll be speaking in our online class. Uh, he's going to do, we have a slide presentation for you also. And he's going to deal with the evidence of an African presence in this land dating back at least 51,700 years, and in South America at least 56,000 years ago. Um, so the class is a 10-week online course that I teach. Uh, a few weeks ago, our guest speaker was archaeologist Nubia Wartford. She's an African-American female archaeologist. She did a fantastic presentation on um, ancient, uh, the origins of ancient Kush and the African queens of antiquity. The origins of ancient Kush and African queens of antiquity. So I do a PowerPoint presentation. We have book references, articles, video clips. It's interactive. Uh, you see me, I can't see you, but you, we have a live chat so you can ask questions in class also. So if you go to our website, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com, right on the home page. Uh, when you scroll down, we have the information for the online course. And I added an extra week because um, we need 10 weeks to uh, you know, Dr. David M. Hotep speaking. Uh, so when you scroll down, you'll see the flyer and the information here. Click on register here. It takes you to the next page. And uh, click on enroll. All right. And as soon as you register, you can start watching the uh, content. You can watch this past Saturday's class. Do the class live. All the sessions are recorded.
back and watch them over and over again. You'll still have access to the course as well, uh, even after the course is over with. You'll still have access, okay? Uh, so we posted the link here. You can register for that and start watching the content. All right, I want to go to this uh, article here from uh, 11 ABC News uh, in um, North Carolina. This deals with the update to this story. And they talk about an African-American female chemist from the University of Maryland named Dr. Lisa Jones, who has uh, refused uh, uh, a professorship at um, at UNC because of the mistreatment of Nicole Hannah Jones. Uh, Dr. Lisa Jones is a uh, sought, is a highly sought after uh, professor, and she's turned down a faculty position at North Carolina's flagship university because of the ongoing controversy with uh, journalist Nicole Hannah Jones. Uh, Black America Web also has a uh, article dealing with uh, this story. And Nicole Hannah Jones did a tweet uh, in support of uh, Dr. Lisa Jones. Uh, UNC loses out on leading uh, black chemist after Nicole Hannah Jones tenure debacle. As UNC continues to process the national blowback for denying tenure to award-winning journalist Nicole Hannah Jones, an African-American professor and highly sought uh, chemist, declined a position with the university. There was a uh, tweet here from. Scroll down here. There's a tweet here from uh, Nicole Hannah Jones. Ida Bay Wells on uh, Twitter. Let's see, let me pull this up. Let's see here. Okay, let's go to this tweet. Flip over, tab it up. Okay, so Nicole Hannah-Jones tweeted uh, on June 2nd, I've never met this sister, Dr. Lisa Jones, but the solidarity shown me by black women in particular during this crucible is something I will never forget. And, um, okay, it's the letter here uh, that I think it was the letter that uh, Lisa Jones wrote. Uh, to UNC. All right, let me, I want to go uh, to this clip here from uh, NBC, uh, I mean, 11 ABC uh, News. <sighs> Several other engineers told me this whole situation has been stressful. Hold on, let me cue that back up. Just a second here. All right, so Eyewitness News learned another high-level sought-after professor has turned down uh, a faculty position 
at North Carolina's flagship university because of the ongoing controversy with journalist Nicole Hannah-Jones. Uh, Dr. Lisa Jones, a chemist at the University of Maryland, a chemist at the University of Maryland said in a statement that even though she hasn't met Nicole Hannah-Jones, she stands in solidarity with her. said, uh, I stand in solidarity with her and could, and could not in good conscience accept a position at UNC. This situation is indicative of a broader issue within academia where faculty of color face several obstacles and are less likely to gain tenure. Okay. Now, uh, Friday was supposedly the drop-dead day for UNC to reconsider the tenure status of Nicole Hannah-Jones or face a lawsuit. Oh. Academics. One professor here told me this whole situation has been stressful. It's taken away from their true academic mission. This is where learning that Ms. Hannah-Jones has offers from several other institutions, academic institutions, those positions come with tenure, and we're also hearing... The Board of Trustees tonight continues to consider her fate. It's a debate no professor wants its university to be involved in. Not Deb Icutt. He's an associate professor at the UNC Hussman School of Journalism and has been since 1995. The school thrown into a frenzy for the last month over the fate of alum and journalist Nicole Hannah-Jones. This should be a plain and simple hire and we can get on with our business of teaching. Tonight was supposedly the drop-dead date for UNC to reconsider the tenure status of Hannah Jones or face a lawsuit. UNC saying, quote, they've responded to a letter from the NAACP Legal Defense and Educational Fund regarding Nicole Hannah Jones's employment. We look forward to continued dialogue with her counsel. No university or no faculty or student at any university want their universities to go through a federal lawsuit once you can avoid it. Her case rippling down the faculty as University of Maryland chemist Dr. Lisa Jones decided not to take a job in Chapel Hill because of what's happened to Miss Hannah Jones. Quote, the situation is indicative of a broader issue within academia where faculty of color face several obstacles and are less likely to gain tenure. 36 faculty members signed on to that statement saying that they expressed that concern that this was the dire repercussions of what is happening. As far as Professor Icutt knows, Miss Hannah Jones is still coming to the university on July 1st. She agreed to a five-year contract which allows her to apply for tenure during that time. Whatever is decided, professors are asking for transparency, including the chair of the faculty, Dr. Mimi Chapman. She wrote an op-ed this week in the Daily Tar Heel. I've reached out to Ms. Hannah Jones, have not heard back just yet. I've also filed public records requests with the university to get a bit more detail about the specifics of her contract. Now, you also might be wondering tonight, why tenure? Why is this battle over tenure so important? Not only, according to professors, does it ensure job security, but ensures academic freedom of teaching and ideas. Steve? Okay, so that is from 11 ABC News there in... Uh... North Carolina. Here we go. This one right here. 
is from October 17, 1963. Enter Civic Council meeting. Wait outside City Hall in Tallahassee, Florida. Uh, for the start of their trial on charges of operating illegal carpools and illegal carpools transport African-American boycotting buses and segregated street coaches. Reverend C.K. Uh, Steele, Council President, is second from the left in the front row. Second from the left in the front row. September 21, drivers in the ICC were arrested and charged with violating state law. After their trial, all 10 accused parties, after their trial, all 20 accused parties were convicted by City Judge John Rudd, R-U-D-D, and each person was sentenced to a fine of $500 or 60 days. Judge John Rudd extended the jail sentence but left the fines in place. Now, ICC member Dan owner of a Frenchtown grocery store, paid $11,000 in fines. Okay? Paid, uh, ICC member Dan Speed paid $11,000 in fines. In fines. Reverend C.K. Steele spent several years speaking around the nation to pay off the $11,000. So, you know, you, you have to have, uh, I, I remember before uh, Andrew Young uh, talking about the civil rights movement, uh, the boycotts and the marches and things like this, and he said that, you know, he said, you know, even he said, even Dr. King said, he said, we don't want everybody marching, but somebody's going to have to bail us out of jail. Okay? We don't want everybody marching, but somebody's going to have to, somebody's going to, have to bail us out of jail. And, and this is one of the reasons why, you know, it's important to have economic empowerment, it's important to have businesses, because you're going to need money to finance these movements. And you needed people to bail people out of jail. Okay? African-American business owners and things like this and entertainers to donate money to bail people out of jail. So this is one of the reasons why economic empowerment is so important. Yes, to hire our own people and all that stuff, but to finance movements as well. Now the convictions ended the carpools and eventually the boycott. Convictions ended the carpools and eventually the boycott. For a while, African Americans walked to and from their jobs. On December 23, 1966, the ICC voted to formally end the boycott. In June of 1966, a federal court struck down segregated meetings in a case brought uh, by the Montgomery, Alabama bus boycott. In November, the U.S. Supreme Court upheld the ruling. Integrated seating on buses was now the law of the land. See, 
so the, so even though they had this boycott in the last several months, they're gonna they're gonna extend the boycott, okay? Uh, because there's a lawsuit regarding carpooling. But with the Montgomery bus boycott, they have a three prong strategy. I talked about this before, and I wrote seven pages all about dealing with the Montgomery bus boycott. Uh, Wall Street was dealing with this boycott, and this is why back in October we were uh, we were seeing the pain. We called it the sustained economic boycott. They had a three prong strategy with the Montgomery bus boycott. They had the mass protest. They had the economic boycott, economic withdrawal. But they also had a uh, legal strategy, okay, in the courts and lawsuits. Um, you had the lawsuit with Browder versus Yale, filed February 1st, uh, 1956. The lawsuit with Browder versus Yale. And this lawsuit is going to go all the way to the U.S. Supreme Court. And this is what actually ended segregation on the bus in Montgomery, Alabama. Um, the plaintiffs in the lawsuit, you have four African-American women. And I think I have this in the Plaintiffs in the uh, case were four African American women: uh, Aurelia Browder, Claudette Coleman, uh, who nine months before Rosa Parks was killed up in Tennessee, uh, Susan McDonald, and Mary Mary Louise Smith. Okay, you had four African American women uh, who were the plaintiffs uh, in the lawsuit, and they sued. Uh, the mayor of Montgomery, Alabama, Mayor William A. Gale, G-A-Y-L-E, Mayor William A. Gale. They sued uh, the Montgomery Bus Lines, Inc., the Montgomery Bus Company. Uh, they sued all the UTAs, the Chief of Police, the City Council. And this lawsuit goes all the way to the U.S. Supreme Court. It's going to be appealed, and then in December... Uh, right around December 20th, the final verdict comes down that uh, segregation on the buses is unconstitutional. Okay, and this is what's going to end. And when they, when uh, uh, when that verdict came down, they're going to Montgomery Improvement Association and the uh, Montgomery bus boycott. Contrary to popular belief, they didn't uh, put the bus company out of business. Bus company lost a lot of money, but they didn't put the bus company out of business. The lawsuit was filed February 1st, 1956 by Attorney Fred Gray and uh, Charles E. Langley. Now, Attorney Fred Gray is going to be the same attorney who filed the lawsuit in about 1973 or so on behalf of the survivors of the Tuskegee experiment on untreated syphilis in the Negro male, also known as the Tuskegee experiment. This Attorney Fred Gray is going to file a lawsuit on behalf of those survivors of the dirty censorship and get reparations also, okay? Um, this lawsuit, February 1st, 1966, which was filed two days after uh, white supremacists bombed Dr. King's house, okay? And 
Angels house was bombed twice in the same week. Once in uh, uh, late January 66 and then also in September 1966. Now, Janetta Reese was also a plaintiff in the case, but outside pressure convinced Janetta Reese to withdraw from the case in uh, February. Because you had these African-American women who were plaintiffs in this lawsuit known as Browder versus Yale. And this lawsuit is going to end segregation on the buses. And my number is that if you end segregation on buses everywhere, it becomes law all across the country, not just in Montgomery, Alabama. And that impacts what's taking place in Tallahassee, Florida. Those are slides from uh, my lectures at the Georgia American Executive School of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. and the Revolutionary and that's televised that's uh, available at our website AfricanNationNetwork.com. All my DVD lectures and digital downloads are free. Okay, let's continue here. So in June 1966, the federal court struck down segregated schools in a case brought by the Montgomery, Alabama bus boycott. That, that was the lawsuit of Browder versus Yale. In November, the U.S. Supreme Court upheld the ruling. Integrated seating on buses was now uh, was now the law of the land. Even so, the Tallahassee City Commission refused to rescind its ban on integrated seating. So the ITC voted to ride the buses in a quote non-segregated manner. They voted to ride the buses in a non-segregated manner. Starting on Christmas Eve, the Reverend Keith A. Steele and other ITC members began riding uh, the buses sitting in the front of uh, sitting in the front white only section. A Life magazine photographer captured Austin's published photo of the Reverend Keith A. Steele and Bethel AME Pastor H. McNeil Harris riding at the front of the bus. Bus manager Charles Carter and nine bus drivers were arrested for allowing the integrated bus ride. Okay, so they said, wait a second, man, we, 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 that's, the, that's the law of the land. You're going to arrest us for, uh, you're going to arrest us for following the law of the land? Tallahassee, Florida, this bus boycott is going to uh, plant the seeds of uh, civil rights, civil rights struggle in Tallahassee, Florida, and it's going to change Tallahassee forever as well. And a lot of people don't know about this bus boycott. A lot of people talk about the Montgomery bus boycott, but there were a number of uh, bus boycotts in Africa. How's everybody doing? Okay, how y'all like the country over there? So, this is the famous uh, picture series of the uh, Reverend Keith A. Steele and Reverend uh, H. McNeil Harris in uh, 1966. It's an iconic photo riding on the front of the Tallahassee City bus, December 24th. 1966, when protesters began riding the buses in a non-segregated manner. Began riding the buses in a non-segregated manner. 
sold bus manager Charles Carter and nine bus drivers were arrested for allowing the integrated bus route. The city announced it would revoke the then private bus company's charter. The city announced it would revoke the then private bus company's charter. Reverend Deacon Hill and ICC and the ICC responded by calling for a mass integrated ride on December 27, 1956. But when 200 white kids showed up with baseball bats and rocks at the bus terminal at Park Avenue and Monroe Street, the protesters called off. On New Year's Eve, rocks were thrown through the windows of Reverend Deacon Hill's home next door to Bethel Baptist Church, and two weeks later, gunshots were fired through the windows of Dan Speed's grocery store. Now, Dan Speed was the one who uh, loaned the eleven thousand, who paid the eleven thousand dollars in fines for uh, people involved in the carpool who had to go to court. He was a five hundred dollar fine. $500 Dan Speed, who owned the grocery store, they're going to be uh, two weeks later fired gunshots through the windows of his grocery store. On January 3rd, a cross was burned on the front lawn of Bethel Baptist Church. Now, the violence dismayed even the white community. The Tallahassee Democrat newspaper wrote an editorial condemning the cross burning as a, quote, shameful device unbecoming any citizen of a free country, of a free country, unbecoming of a free citizen, uh, of a citizen of a free country. Governor Leroy Thomas, a Tallahassee native, stepped in to head off further violence. On January 1st, he suspended the bus service. On January 1st, um, Governor Collins suspended the bus service January 1st, 1957. Now, on January 9th, the city commission offered its solution. January 9th, 1957. The city commission offered its solution. Assigned seating on city buses. Drivers were ordered assigned seats to every rider based on weight uh, based on weight distribution, health and safety, and the tranquility and good order. The drivers were ordered to assign seats to every rider based on weight distribution, health and safety, and the tranquility and good order. Though the policy was designed separate bus riders based on race, it made no mention of segregated seats. Okay, it made no mention of segregated seats.
have uh, Reverend Kate uh, Steele and Reverend Harry, December 24th, Christmas Eve, uh, riding on the bus, non-segregated manner. Mm-hmm. Which 
the pressure from Governor Collins, from the Governor Collins appointed by Rachel Sakai. The bus company was allowed to gradually rescind its assigned seating program. Okay, under pressure from the Governor Governor Collins appointed by Rachel Sakai. The bus company was allowed to gradually rescind its assigned seating program. African Americans began returning to the buses, though the assigned seating ordinance was never officially repealed, it was considered wiped from the books when the bus company was sold to the city in 1974. Now, here are, um, I think his picture is Ludwig Moore.
you have the information at our website, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com. Uh, then also on uh, all of our website as well. Do the class live. All the sessions are recorded. So you can go back and watch it over and over again. As soon as you register, you can watch the class again here this past Saturday. I'm going to post the link here as well. You can watch from around the world. Even after the course is over with, you'll um, still have access to still watch the content. All right, we have to get out of here. Remember, the African History Network is focused on educating and empowering and empowering people of African descent throughout the diaspora and around the world. Because right now, it's just known behavior. Now that we can remain with time and forever, let's all be in our future. Dream knowledge and learning from insightful summaries of progressive and socially conscious books.